the kill, and Warner wins the set. Fade away by Moores. Welcome back to another edition of In Play. I'm Craig Maddock. It was a year ago. It really looked like South Dakota high school football was going to add another class, a class which had not been around for over 50 years. Back in 1952, there were 110 schools in South Dakota playing six-man football. Only 10 years later, in the early 60s, six-man football went away. Nine-man football started in the late 60s. And today, here in South Dakota, just under 70 schools play nine-man football. But it was a year ago, the rebirth of six-man football, it didn't go. Mainly due to, there were some sticking points, mainly commitment from enough teams to start the division. And until there is common thread from a number of school districts, six-man football just won't be coming back. Still has a chance, though, down the road. Now, the most famous six-man football team set national marks, 61 wins in a row the most nationally at the time, and still the record in South Dakota for most consecutive wins, the Claremont Honkers. Brown County town, northeast of Aberdeen, a town of 230 back in the 40s and 50s. Now it's down to about 120. But the Honkers, six years of perfection. And it was nine years ago, a book was written about the Claremont Honkers and uh, an author whose dad was the quarterback of that team. And Mark Rasmussen joins us now on in play mark hard to believe it's been nine years since you wrote that book yeah time does fly <laughs> what made you want to write a book about the claremont honkers you know it's funny growing up with my dad um, he was not one who really bragged a lot he didn't talk a lot about what his experience was back when he was a claremont honker but <clears throat> I was involved with helping him become a member of the South Dakota Sports Hall of Fame. And to do that, I, it required a lot of background information and, you know, a lot of um, articles and different pieces of data that that once I had accumulated them, I realized there's a pretty good story here. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was it was kind of a, a lesson in love. I, I just wanted to get it done. I wanted to be able to present it, and um, there were a lot of people that were near and dear to me that were involved with that team, and, you know, it was fun to go out and and interview them and get to know their world and how they felt, and um, so it it was just a labor of love. You know, there has to be a beginning for every story, and this story, when you're talking about six-man football and the Claremont Honkers, 1947, the 1953 is when they had the 61 consecutive wins. But it has to start with Bill Welsh coming to Claremont. Um, how did that happen? Well, Bill Welsh um, was uh, he was kind of an exceptional guy. He was from Aberdeen initially. He was a very good athlete. In fact, he was good enough to be recruited to go to the University of Illinois, and he played with Red Green for a year there until he received uh, an injury in his eye that caused him to to leave that part of the football. But he went back and played for Northern. But generally, Bill Welsh, he coached in Kimball, and he coached in Webster. And then he went down to um, Iowa, where he was coaching a team there. And uh, he was on his way, I think, to becoming kind of a a big league type coach. He, He had consistently winning programs and did really well. 
But while he was in Forest City, Iowa, he he had a young son and a a young daughter and his wife Edna. The the four of them kind of had moved in, and uh, one day he was out with his son, work, helping a friend move. And um, during the course of him doing that, his son actually wandered into traffic and was run over by someone and ultimately killed. And I think it took so much out of Bill Wells that he decided he he just had to take a step back and he had to re, reassess his life and decide what he needed to do. Well, the decision that he made was he wanted to, to open a hunting lodge and there just happened to be one up in Claremont that, that was ripe for the picking. And he decided he was going to go up there and, and get that remodeled and, and put into play. And apparently it was quite the, quite the spread when he got it done. But, <laughs> but being uh, Bill Welsh and being someone who was so close to sports, it was very difficult for him to, to be doing that when there, were, uh, there was a high school close by that had a lot of good athletes. And they would play basketball in his yard, so he would have a chance to get to know him. And um, after a couple of years, he, I think he arrived there in '45. But after a couple of years, he decided, you know, I, I should probably get back in the game. Well, they no one in Claremont had ever seen a football, much less played the game. So for Bill, you know, coming in and having an opportunity to work with these kids, he was the one that initially presented the six-man football concept to the school board. He was the one that organized, um, you know, the, the group of kids to, to play. He was the one that, that organized the equipment for them. And then he was the one who taught them all the things they need to know about six-man football that made them so successful and able to, to create this record. Which is amazing too, Mark, because, you know, Stephen Epler developed the six-man game 1934. So we're talking 13 years later Bill Welsh has kind of perfected the game of six-man football. Well, I think what he had done, you know, and not just so much perfecting the game, he understood that that practice and repetition made such a big difference to, you know, an effective team. And and six-man football was a wide-open game. It was played in a a 40-by-80-yard field, which was smaller than the typical one, but there was a lot of sleight of hand that was um, you know part of the game and just what he had decided to do was he was going to keep the playbook simple I think he had 10 plays total but he drilled them so much during the course of the the initial season and and throughout that um, they just became really really good at each play and I think that made the difference more than anything else they were fast and they were very effective in executing the play and it, it's funny when I, you know, when I interviewed the, the folks for um, the book, including my father, they could still remember each play. You know, they could go, okay, this one, this is exactly what we did. And then this one, it's exactly what we did. And it was, it was interesting to have been drilled that hard that you remembered it 50 years later. <laughs> Mark Rasmussen joins us on In Play. We're talking about the Claremont Honkers, uh, the South Dakota winning streak in high school football at 61. I don't think that's going to be broken, but Mark has written the book called Six, and it's still available online. You can pick up the book. It's a, it's a great read. As far as Coach Welsh, I heard that he was kind of a, a P.T. Barnum type of guy. He, 
he not only knew that he had some pretty good teams, but he had a, a, re, a way and reason to get fans to come to the football games. Yeah, he when he came to Claremont, um, he was a kind of a bigger-than-life figure. But what he recognized from his time in other small schools was to be able to build a successful program, you have to make it a community effort. You know, it takes a village, as they say. But what he did is he definitely got everyone in the community involved. He would have people, you know, working at the games. He would have it promoted um, in all the, the places to eat. And um, But he, he anointed everybody as a, as a volunteer in the city of Claremont. And it was weird because for a town of basically 250 people at you know, toward the end of their streak, they were getting crowds of up to 2,500 spectators at each one of these games, which, you know, where, where do you find all those people? And, and you need to use pretty much everybody in town to be able to get there. So Bill not only was able to utilize the people in the, in his uh, town as volunteers, but he was also really good at, at just throwing out challenges to the best teams in the area. Um, for instance, you know, he would challenge the best in North Dakota and the best in Minnesota. And, um, you, you know, the winner would become the, the dual state champion or the tri-state <laughs> champion. And, mm-hmm. and it, you know, you had asked earlier about the, the trophies. Well, one of them is the mythical third uh, three-state champion. He would call it a mythical championship because at that time there weren't any official championships, but he beat the best in North Dakota. He beat the best in Minnesota in the six-man game, and he consistently beat the best in South Dakota. So he didn't just play patsies. He made sure that he played the best, and it, it helped his people get even better. Yeah, those trophies right now sitting in a trophy case in Langford, in the Langford School District, as a number of those who were Claremont Hawkers now have merged into Langford up there in, in Northeast uh, South Dakota. What was game night kind of piggybacks on the PT Barnum type uh, style of coach Welsh. What was game night like for football in Claremont? Well, you know, obviously um, in those days there weren't any real field lights. So what they do is they would bring all their cars and they'd park them, you know, just touching each other basically all the way around the field. And then if it got into the, you know, the, the dusk, they would basically all turn their headlights on and they would become, uh, you know, the field lights. <laughs> so, you know, all these people would get there early. Some would park their cars there the day before so they'd have a really good seat. And what happened was the spectators would basically, they didn't have a lot of, um, you know, stands that they could sit in. So they sat on all the cars and, once in a while, you know, someone would come out uh, on a pass play or they would be running really fast on a sweep and uh, unable to stop. They'd end up, you know, going right under the car and have to <laughs> climb out of that. But just the the whole perspective of it was, was pretty amazing. And there were some uh, videos that are available on YouTube about, you know, that showed some of the games at that time and just the, the excitement and the euphoria and all the other fun things that come with it that um, was a part of that game. So it's something I would encourage people to watch, but what, what they got in exchange was they got an exceptional spectacle. You know, it, it, uh, entertainment was not easily acquired back in those days. There weren't a lot of things like, uh, you know, 
fall sports. That wasn't typical for them. They would generally take that time off and wait till basketball showed up. There weren't a lot of movies. There weren't a lot of other things that people could do. So when this thing came out, it really was kind of a sensation. And, and um, the world really gravitated towards it, which explains why you'd have 2,500 uh, spectators at one of these games. <laughs> it, was the, it was the place to be. Let's go to 1953. They have 61 consecutive wins. You knew the streak was going to come to an end. Uh, was that the peak of attendance for Claremont football at that time? You know, I I would say that it was probably closer to the 52 season. You know, it's funny that there were three pretty distinct teams that, that uh, were out there where the stars were a little bit different. Um, the initial one was Donnie Gibbs and Mick Vickers and, you know, uh, Lyle Cutler, who I think you'll talk to here a little bit later, and Kay Cutler and some of these other guys. They were the initial team. They were the group of high school players who played two years, 47 and 48, never lost a game. So they were able to retire undefeated unless they went off into college and they had other experience. Then you had a in the early 50s, like 50, 51, 52, then you had Pat Vickers and, and Red Sanderson and, you know, and uh, some of these, these guys that were similar, but um, they, they just had a whole different look. But by then, the, they were uh, record holders. And that's when I think people really started to take notice once they were getting national press coverage. Um, there were, you know, in my research, I would find articles from New York, you know, that were issued through the AP um, about this team in South Dakota that had this, this winning streak. And it was just, it was pretty fascinating. And the other thing that was going on at that time was um, the Sodak Sports, which was Al Newhart's initial foray into owning a newspaper. Um, that was really covering them. They, it kind of corresponded with the years that that was in play. So it gave us um, and gave those that were readers a, a really good um, sense of what this was all about. In fact, I think you had quoted some of the statistics from that paper when you first started this interview. Coach Welsh did something after they won a game on the road that probably would be frowned upon today. What did what did Coach Welsh do <laughs> when they won a game on the road? They got back into the town of Claremont after winning a football game. Well, yeah, it would probably be definitely frowned upon, but what he would do is he would he would take a shotgun and he would go out and he'd shoot the shotgun so that people would know for sure that Claremont had, first of all, returned home, but <laughs> otherwise, you know, they had won the, the game. And uh, it was, yeah, it was just one of those things Bill Welsh would do, but it was small town South Dakota. It wasn't unusual. What happened after the wins, consecutive wins, and they started losing a little bit more? Did, did the town change? After Bill Welsh stopped coaching? Um, it did, but I think, you know, the, the variables that were working against the six-man football teams were that schools were beginning to consolidate, and the, the six-man game became a victim of that school consolidation at the time. So, and as, as a town would ultimately lose its school, it would lose its, its identity. And, uh, you know, when 
when they, I think 1970, they ultimately closed the Claremont School and everybody went to, to uh, Langford. But before that, you know, it was in a declining time frame and the enrollments got so low, they just couldn't, couldn't make it work. So the, they lost their first game in 1953, but then they went, uh, they won another game in, after that one and then they won all their games the next year and I think probably the year after that. But it, the writing was on the wall. You know, it was the game was, was leaving. And I think they actually went to an eight-man game then. Um, when I was a uh, uh, high schooler, I played for Hecla, which was the team that beat Claremont ultimately. I wasn't playing at that time, obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, but I played eight-man football and then ultimately went to a nine-man game. So, um, so I know it was available and it was out there. But that they just had to do it because of the consolidation and the fact that suddenly they have more kids available to play. They needed to go to a, a to a higher count for the game. The uh, book was written nine years ago. It's called Six: A Football Coach's Journey to a National Record. It's still available. I hope folks go online and and pick it up. Uh, is it still available around the area there, Mark? Can they hit the, the local yeah, store it, there and? It's, um, you know, the South Dakota um, State Historical Society Press uh, has the books. Basically, they, it, was, it was printed and published by the South Dakota State Historical Society Press and had a great experience writing it and working with them on it. And, but uh, you can go online through their website or you can go to Amazon or you can go, you know, Google or there's both uh, the hardcover and then you can also get the ebook. And uh, it was really very highly rated for this genre of of, um, of books. So uh, I think there were some national rating services that had it up there pretty high. So it's kind of cool. I like it. Well, I, I see that Book Authority ranked the 70 best football books of all time, and six was ranked number 43. How about that there, Mark? That's so exciting for a young boy who that's his only his only author attempt here. So I'm excited about that. Last one for you, Mark. Uh, in doing the book, what surprised you the most, or what are you most proud of when writing this book, and what you learned about this special team? You know, I, I think um, learning about the individual accomplishments. You know, I I had the National High School. Um, athletic association or national high school federation. Um, they're the ones that have the official record book, but, you know, I started this thinking, okay, we have the, the six man record of 61 consecutive wins. But when I started to put all the others together and compare it against that, they actually had about, you know, they had a share of about six or seven records. And some of the individuals also had records and then, Bill Welsh has is named as the coach with the most wins as a percentage in the, you know, in the country. He, he coached 62 games and was 61 and one. It's kind of hard to beat that. Not like the Minnesota Vikings. You understand? <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Sorry. 98% um, winning percentage there for coach Welsh. Yeah, it was pretty hard to beat that. So it, but it was just, uh, and learning, uh, spending the time interviewing the people that, were a part of that and spending time uh, talking to the daughters of Bill Welsh who, who uh, were like sisters to my dad, you know, as he was growing up, it, it all was just such a, an interesting story. It, it just, it filled my life with, 
with a history that I only peripherally understood up to that point. So it was just a really nice experience. We are talking about a team that has the most consecutive wins in football in South Dakota, and they played six-man football back in the time. It was back in the 40s and 50s. It was Claremont up in Brown County. It was the Claremont Honkers, and 61 consecutive wins. It was a national record, and uh, unfortunately, we don't play six-man football anymore, but we may coming up down the road. This is In Play. I'm Craig Maddock. In fact, we're joined by two players on those Claremont Honkers teams joining us in play. Marv Rasmussen joins us, also Lyle Cutler. Of course, Marv's son, Mark, was the author of the book Six, which we've already talked with Mark about already. You can get that book. It's certainly available all around the area. Lyle Cutler played uh, 1947 and 48. He was a part of those years where they didn't lose games at all, and Lyle, you were the right end. What was game night like in Claremont when you guys were winning football games? Yeah, you know, we um, when we started football up here, we didn't have no equipment at all. Bill got some used stuff out of Northern State there in Northern, and he got us some used shoulder pads and rib pads. And, and for jerseys, we just got old sweatshirts and painted numbers on them. That was our, uh, <laughs> we weren't too fancy, and our helmets were just old leather helmets, I know. They don't face guards or nothing, but that was the start of football. How can you play football without a face mask? What was it like playing football with leather helmets and, and no face masks? Well, we were talking about, this is Marv talking, we were talking about that a while ago, no face mask. Yeah. Yeah, there was no no face masks at all. And it's funny, I don't think anybody got hurt too bad in the face, but it was uh, it was a little different because the leather helmets didn't have a whole lot of padding in them either. Lyle Cutler joining us along with Marv Rasmussen, both Claremont honkers as we talk about what they did back in the 40s and 50s, 61 consecutive wins, which is still a record in South Dakota high school football. And Bill Welsh, of course, was the coach. Um, uh, Lyle, first to you, what was Bill Welsh to you as a mentor and a coach? He come into our little town and, and ran a, a game lodge to start with, and we needed a we needed a coach, so Bill, he was a great guy. He, he was really inspired everybody. We got into this football and stuff, and and we didn't have a field or anything like that. We didn't. We didn't even have a, a gym. You know, after after our practices, we went to one of the guys that lived in town and took a shower for that dirty. But yeah, no, he Bill was a great inspiration and in all athletics. Well, Marv Rasmussen, I know that uh, you had a special seat apparently with uh, Bill Welsh because he was he was quite quite the coach for you too. T- talk about Bill. Okay, well, you know, I when I was about, I suppose, in the fourth or fifth grade, Bill Welch showed up, and uh, he kind of took a special interest in me. I, my family was a poor family, and he kind of he kind of helped me out in a lot of cases. I remember one time that uh, we were going to go to the state tournament as spectators because the, the seniors had only lost two games that year, and 
I, the only shoes I had was a pair, a pair of floppy, you know, they weren't very good. So Bill said, go up, go up to my house, he said, and I'll get you a pair of shoes and you can wear them. Well, I was the only guy in Sioux Falls that walked around with a shiny pair of wingtips that, that whole time, which is kind of, <laughs> kind of a funny deal. But Bill was my mentor. Uh, I was, it was in my life, it was a time that I needed discipline. And Bill is a guy that he had no problem with the discipline. His discipline to me was always challenging. It was never threatening. You know, he would challenge you to something. And uh, like he would, like in my case, uh, he said, I hear you're a pretty good runner. I said, well, I don't know. He said, why don't you run around the track a couple of times? He'd time me. <laughs> and, I, and he said, you're pretty good. You're almost like a deer. So, you know, that's the kind of. That's the kind of influence he used on me, which was which was really something, you know. But I needed the discipline, yes. Was he a motivator? Was he a disciplinarian? Uh, how 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 much did he get really active and emotional on the sidelines? Yeah, we when he talked coached? about that. Uh, you know, I, I went into coaching quite a bit, and Bill probably wasn't the best X's and O's man. You know, back then they didn't have all the fundamentals, the fundamentals that we had. Later, we were coaching, but he was a motivator. Uh, he would always tell a story. Uh, he made sure that all the athletes out for football the last period was in his study hall, and he would talk about some person from Tanisia or something that was an Olympic runner. And by the time we'd go out to football practice, we'd burn tear the door out getting out there, you know, because he, he'd have us so fired up, you know. It was a real deal. And Lyle knows the same thing. That's what happened, you know. But he he kind of took me under his wing, and uh, my junior year, uh, he thought I should probably go with him out to Lewistown, Montana. That's where he took a new coaching job. So uh, I went out there with Bill, and he wanted me to enroll at uh, at the high school there at Lewistown, Ferguson County High School. And the problem we had is I was not eligible because of the transfer rule, so I didn't get to spend the last year out there. So I did come back and. But he, he had a real influence on my life, and it was all good. Well, Marv Rasmussen, of course, went into coaching. You won a state basketball title at Alexandria in the 60s. So you didn't coach football uh, with the best success. You, you played basketball. Uh, so what did Bill Welch yeah, mean to I you? Think, yeah, I think my sport actually uh, was basketball. You know, I played four years of high school football, and I played a year and a half of college, and I broke a bone in my foot. So I stuck with the basketball uh, because the coaches thought maybe they didn't want somebody running around the basketball court with a broken foot. So <laughs> I, I kind of went that way. Um, I, uh, well, you I did got, pretty good because uh, you, uh, you're you in the Northern Hall, Northern State Hall of Fame in basketball, so uh, not too bad yeah, there, Marv. Um, Harry Marski and I uh, – we're both Harry Marcy came out of Andover. I came out of Claremont and coach Welch had just come back from Wyandotte high school, Kansas city, Kansas, where he'd won the four, a tournament. And he was a new basketball coach at Northern. And for some reason he took Harry and I under our wing, under his wing. And we were four year starter and won the conference four years, went to the national championship three years. So we were pretty busy, but I, that's kind of how I stayed with the basketball. That was Marv Rasmussen talking with us here on In Play. I'm Craig Maddock. Lyle Cutler, a member of the Claremont Hawkers, also joining us here on In Play. Lyle, you only had like five plays. That's that's all you had when you played six man well, football. Tell us about plays. those those plays on offense. Plays. 
the number one was on the right side end of the line. Number two was on the left side end of the line. Number three was a right end run. Number four was a left end run. And I think number five, he devised a reverse for us. But I think them were, them were the first only five plays we had that first game. You wouldn't believe the plays we had. We had reverses and double reverses and triple reverses and hidden ball things and sleepers and <laughs> offside and you know, all kinds of stuff. It, it was fun playing. That's what it really was. One thing that uh, I remember is that Bill would stand back like a linebacker and we would run through our plays and if he saw the football, we'd run him again. He didn't want to see the football. He didn't want to see the opposing team ever to see the football. And, you know, he came out, Bill came out of University of Illinois. He spent a year there. He was going to be the next Red Grange. And he got an eye injury, and then he stayed out for a while. And and uh, he was, he, he knew a lot more than most of the other people around. One thing I do remember in his blocking, uh, he taught us not to block the person back. He wanted us to open the hole up, you know, like they teach now. And that was some of the strategy he used, yes. Some of the six-man rules, of course, you played on an 80-yard field. A first down was after 15 yards. All That's six correct. offensive players were eligible, eligible to be receivers. You had to have three linemen to start the play. And then the player to whom the ball was snapped to, they could not advance the ball past the line of scrimmage. Now, you two guys didn't know anything about six-man football when Bill Welsh came to Claremont. No, we didn't. We didn't have any idea about any football. We'd heard that. I had a cousin that had played at Groton, and he talked about he played tackle. And I thought, well, if you play football, you got to play tackle. I didn't realize that tackle was a position. <laughs> you know, he. Uh, so we knew a little bit about football, but nobody had ever seen a football game. I mean, it was unbelievable. Lyle Cutler, talk about uh, what would happen after coach after you guys would win a game on the road. What happened uh, when you got back to town? We go up and down Main Street and honk the horns, and everybody come out and give us a high five. <laughs> and then I think in Mark's book, and I don't remember a lot of this. Bill would like to shoot the shotgun, or is it? Oh yeah, yeah. You yeah. remember that, Lyle? Oh, right? I, I can remember. Yeah, leading the bunch, if somebody would fire a couple shots up in the air. See, the, the, if you remember back then, there were very few night games. I think uh, you know, I I played two night games in high school. And I don't think Lyle and your group ever played a night game, right? Oh, no. No. Hmm. And we didn't even have a gym. You know, we didn't even have a place to shower or nothing back then. Uh, it was it was different. <laughs> I did hear that they would put cars around the field, and when it would get dark, the cars would turn their lights on, and sometimes you guys would have to try to avoid those cars getting uh, away from the sideline. Yeah, see, that... That was really true. You might you might end up under a forty eight Chevy. You know the cars were all they'd line up the night before because there'd be so many people at the gate, yeah. and they would be like a yard off from the out of bounds. So once in a while there'd be a you you take out a headlight or something, right, Lyle? <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> a lot of horns honking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was. I want to. I want to go to the after the the first loss after sixty one consecutive wins. Marv, you were the quarterback of that team, right? What 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 was that evening like or that day okay, like? Okay, uh, we uh, we had played a Friday night game. We had played Kidder. We had just installed lights in at Claremont, 
and we'd gotten lights from Northern because they had put new lights in and we got their own poles. And on Friday night, we had played Kidder in one. And then on Tuesday night, we played Hecla. And according, to, I mean, it was unbelievable. There, uh, They said there was 2,500 people at the game. There were teams from all over the state. And we thought that, you know, Hecla had been winning football games uh, that year, and they were beating teams that we were really struggling with. So we kind of knew that uh, it was going to be a tough night. And uh, we got ourselves down. Uh, the first play of the game, Swarden runs for a touchdown. They kick off to us, and we fumble on the two-yard line. And on the next play, we're down 12, 14 to nothing. So, we, you know, we never got ourselves reclaimed after that. And, and you know, we played hard. It was a hard game. They were big kids, and, and uh, there wasn't a lot of scoring. But with about – Oh, a minute left in the ball game. Coach Wells takes a timeout and he calls the team over and he says, guys, he said, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. He says, we're going to get beat. And he says, what's going to happen is I want you guys to go out there and congratulate every one of those players and their coach. And I want you to be real gentlemen. We, we were real gentlemen winning. We're going to be real gentlemen losing. And he, he instilled that in us. And that's exactly what happened. Marv and uh, and Lyle, um, have you been to Langford recently to see uh, the trophies? You know, we live in uh, Jerry and I live in Langford. We got a daughter that uh, lives out here, and they've got a special spot in the trophy case here where the old Claremont Honkers and and our coach Welch. He was pretty good at buying trophies. You know, back <laughs> then we didn't have a state championship, so he would it was always the mythical. North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota championship. So he would always have a big trophy at the end of the year. And then at our athletic banquet each year, he might, um, we were talking here, Mendel, Milo Jackson from Aberdeen, the head coach of the Aberdeen Central team, he'd come out and speak. Or maybe he'd have the governor come in and talk to us at the, at the athletic banquet. And I mean, he, he made a real show out of it. But the night we got beat, uh, there were 2,500 people at the ball game, according to the paper. And I think at that time it was a dollar a piece to get in, and I'm sure that twenty five hundred dollars was more than Bill made as a coach <laughs> for that one game. Last one for Lyle. Um, I would love to have Lyle talk about um, you know when when you guys are sitting together and talking about those football days. What what's what's the one big issue that you guys always talk about? A lot of sportsmanship. We you know we still have class reunions. We had one this year. It was our 70th <laughs> class reunion. So we're getting kind of old up there, I guess. No, everybody got everybody got along good with everybody. It, it really was good times. Of course, it was right after World War II, and people were wanting to get out and celebrate. And there used to be crowds at all our, you know, this wasn't even, it wasn't only football back then. The town did good in basketball. I know my senior year, we was one loss, 24 wins and one loss. And, and, and we won the state track a couple times, I think. And what do you think, Mark? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we, that's one of the things we talk about when we all get together is, you know, what was the conditions back then? You know, we got guys coming out of World War II and they'd been over in Europe and so on. And the towns had been shut down and pretty soon things start happening. And, and, 
they had played baseball before and they wanted to get athletics going and we had a good coach to do it and and it was a community thing it wasn't just a, it wasn't just Lyle and I and all the other guys it was a community no my between my junior and senior years the people seen that we didn't have a gym so all the farmers and the town people got together and they chipped in enough money to build a Quonset gym and during my senior year we was out there working on that gym about as much as we studying but my senior year, we had had a gym with showers, and we thought we was living pretty high. <laughs> yeah, Marv, last one for you. What part? What what piece of memorabilia do you still have from those days at Claremont? From uh, from that time, yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm in I'm in that South Dakota High School Basketball Hall of Fame, and I got some stuff down in Sioux Falls, you know, at the Pentagon, and uh, I've got a like a, a on your license plate, you put a honker. Was it something like the honkers, well, did, you know, and those kind of things? And and I've got, I've got some film from then. And we did a couple. We did a couple uh, uh, when Mark was writing his book. We did a couple videos where we got all these guys together, and I kind of ran that. And we had, you know, Donnie Gibbs and Lyle and everybody in that. That we got some great information out of that. I mean, it was like guys sitting around at the pool hall talking, and they, and different things that would come up. So that's kind of the thing that you know. That I kind of remember, Merrill. You know, one one thing that we're talking is, you know, I uh, I talked to Mark yesterday, and I said if we get a chance, maybe we should talk about six man football returning. Uh, we've got kids here, you know, we're all right here, but there are ki- there are kids that like there's four teams like Leola Frederick and and the Eureka Bottle, and I can about imagine what a freshman kid traveling from one part to the other for practice and getting home at seven o'clock or something would be. You know, and why why wouldn't we be in a position where we can have our own homecoming, have our old Claremont honker name again, and have our own uh, cheerleaders and have our own people? You know, I, I think it'd be a great time for it. There are a lot of teams that uh, up in this part of the state, I know, like Wilmot, places like that. I'm not so sure they wouldn't want to go back to six man football. Well, if enough teams can come together and come to an agreement. Um... It could happen. Uh, I thought it was going to happen I, a year ago, so, yeah. but there's still there's still some teams that uh, more teams need to commit if it's going to happen. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I'm thinking of that kid from like Summerton up in here, where the kid doesn't get home till seven o'clock at night, and he's a freshman. There might be a chance that he might not play football, you know. But if if you had your own little school, your own little deal, I can see where that guy could play football and have a great time at it. It's been over 50 years since South Dakota had six-man football. Uh, there's been talk about maybe it coming back. We'll see if it does. But when you talk six-man football, everyone, top-of-the-mind awareness, the Claremont Honkers and what they did uh, back in the 40s and the 50s, especially a national record of 61 wins in a row. Still a record here in South Dakota. One of those players on the Honkers teams, he uh, was a four-year player for the Honkers. Uh, Roger Andrews joins us on in play. Roger, when when you think of uh, the the old high school football days, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, it was. Uh, now that I think about it, it was we had a lot of fun. You know, we got to know each other quite well, although small community we did know each other quite well right from the get-go like lyle he was uh uh 
Lyle Cutler I'm talking about, he was one of the first guys, him and that class that he was in, there was a, a lot of really good athletes in that class. Uh, and, uh, you know, heck, I was, uh, what, 10 years old, I guess, like Marv was. And uh, we looked up to those guys like they were gods, you know. They couldn't do anything wrong in our eyes, and they probably didn't. I don't know. But they were they were really good, and they were, and they were good to us younger guys, you know. They would always talk to us and this fact. In fact, when they, when they first started, the gym that we had in Claremont didn't have a shower. And the shower at my dad being an old Navy man, he had to have a shower. He didn't <laughs> leave in bathtubs. So they had a shower, kind of a makeshift one in the basement of our house. And some of the guys come up there and took showers. I know, and after they were done and gone, well, several of us guys that lived there in the neighborhood, we'd get their helmets and shoulder pads and put them on and play football in the yard. Well, this is when I was like 10, 11 years old in the United States. You know, there was only like five plays uh, with that offense of uh, the Claremont Honkers. Did you guys have those plays memorized even before you played for the Honkers? Yeah, pretty much so, yeah, because by the time we were in the seventh and eighth grade, uh, you know, we we pretty much, because we, we pretty much went to the practices after school, and uh, Bill Waltz, the coach, you know, he was pretty generous and let those guys hang around and watch what was going on. So, yeah, we kind of knew what was going on, I guess. What was game day like in Claremont? Here we're talking about a town of about 250 people back in the, the 40s and 50s. What kind of excitement was there on game day? Well, I don't remember so much about the first first games, but as time went on and the streak went on, you know, I, you know, it got to, geez, everybody wanted to see the Hawkers play football. And, I, and I'm quite sure some of the businesses, even closed up to go uptown to or go up the field and watch kids play ball, you know. Uh, and people from other towns would show up, and, and we got scouted. My gosh, we got scouted so heavily, you wouldn't hardly believe it. There was more people on the sidelines from other towns than from our hometown. How about rivalries? Was, was Hecla one of those rivalries that you look forward to every year? Heckler was. Heckler? Pierpont always had a, Pierpont always seemed to have a good team. Kidder, uh, the last couple of years that I was in high school, Kidder had a good football team. Well, they had a big bruising running back by the name of Neil Neeson. That, uh, I always hoped he'd go to the other end because <laughs> I played left-hander. I always hoped he'd go around the right end because, mercy, when you tackled him, you paid for it. How about, but, playing, uh, how about playing both sides of the ball? Six-man football, uh, did, did most of uh, your team, did, did you have to play both sides of the ball? Uh, you mean both offense and defense? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yep. You know, shoot, we only, when I was a senior, there were 17 kids and I, I was boys, and two of them were physically not able to play, and uh, – in the class, right? But there was 
and one of those guys was in our class. He was he had some physical problems, and in the class right behind me, there was only two boys. That was in, and then you get down to the freshman class, where they, there was quite a few in that class, but they were they were pretty small, you know. So, <laughs> well, you had to play both ends of the buck, uh, not both ends. You had to play both offense and defense. What do you want to play the other end? I played left end. He played right end. I can remember he can't, oh, Columbia was a real rival, too. They always had a good team. And the, we were playing them, and he tackled the, the guy and hit him on the five pad. And that was back in the days before I'd never heard of a concussion. And it was getting about the end of the third quarter. And he said to me, are we to halftime here pretty quick? I'm really getting tired. <laughs> mm. I said, well, it's just about to start the fourth quarter. Well, he, you know, so he must have taken a pretty good shot in the head. But this was playing a guy by the name of Frank Daly he had tackled. And Frank was a pretty strong running back. You didn't have face masks when you played football. No, no, no. I always... Tell the girls, I'd have been a pretty good-looking guy if we'd had face mask. I got hit in the face way too many times. No, we didn't have face masks. You were on that team uh, that lost after 61 in a row. You and Marv Rasmussen were on that team. Uh, what was that game like? I think it was with Hecla too, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, Craig, it seemed to me like they knew what we were going to play or what play we were going to run before we run it. And and they were they were good, and uh, you know they just pulled beats. You know we made some mistakes early on. I believe there was a fumble on the first kickoff, and they recovered it, run it in for a touchdown. And it seemed to me it was all downhill after that. But uh, and then afterwards, the mothers of the of our team, you were a gracious bunch of ladies. They put together kind of a uh, a meal afterwards, and I can remember those Hecla kids being coming in there and eating afterwards. And and they didn't, as far as real rivalries, were there any fist fights or anything like that? Nah, they you know they beat as far as far. They were that night. They were just a superior team. That's what it was. Do you have any memorabilia of your football days with the Honkers? Yeah, I had, uh, you know, Al Newharth had the uh, Sodak Sport, and I had a, quite a bunch of them old papers for years and years. But then we had a backup in our sewer system when we lived right in the middle of town, and a lot of that got ruined, and and we've moved a couple of times since then. And, you know, I, I really don't know what I have left anymore. I, I got some clippings, and and that's about it, Greg. Well, you got some great memories too, don't you? Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah, really, really. Uh, in fact, the guy that was the quarterback for the Rosalind team, he has we since lost him. His name was Dennis Deitch. He and I ended up in Sioux Falls together at the same time, and went in the army together, and we ended up going into the airborne or. We were both paratroopers, and we went overseas on the same ship, and we were never any more than, I tell everybody, we were never any more than a 
a driver and an eight iron away from each other. So, in fact, I intercepted one of Deitch's passes and run it back for a touchdown. I never, ever let him hear the end of that, I'll tell you. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us gain new listeners. This has been In Play with me, Craig Maddock. This is a production of South Dakota Public Broadcasting.